almost every movie, I'm like, I can't wait for this movie to be over. I'm so over this. This is so hard. I'm going to sleep 15 hours a day. It's going to be fantastic. But about two days after I'm done with the movie, I'm like, man, I need to get on another movie. That's uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to get back. Welcome to Pictures Up, the podcast where we discuss careers in filmmaking with Derek Rimmelspa, who spent most of his career in film as an assistant director, not to be confused with director's assistant, which is more of a personal assistant kind of role. Derek's job of assistant director is really kind of the person who's the, uh, the general on a film set. They're the one who makes sure that everything gets done on time and they really are marshalling the troops to make sure that the film gets made and gets made on time. So it's a really important job. Some of the more memorable titles that Derek has been involved with, uh, Spider-Man 3, Carol, Captain America, and The Avengers. Uh, He also worked as the first AD on Old Fashioned, a film that we worked on together a few years ago. I think you'll find that Derek has a really interesting career path to follow, so let's go ahead and dive in. I became interested in filmmaking. I always felt I was a little arty and I wanted to do something a little creative and, you know, just something a little different than, you know, the nine to five job. Um, I realized at an early age I'm terrible at drawing. I'm not good at, there's many artistic things I think I have in my head that I was never able to really do with my hands or uh, be able to create it. So I, I think I was kind of drawn to the movie um, medium because it was visit, uh, you know, visual. I could talk through it. Um, you know, it wasn't, I can envision a great painting. I can't paint a great painting. Um, I can envision a great shot and I can collaborate with people and uh, be a part of making that happen. So it was something I felt like more readily accessible in a way of being able to be a part of so it seems something uh kind of accessible to you in in a sense is that sort of what you're saying yeah yeah um it's movies are big and they're crazy and there's lots of elements but to me it seemed like i could come up with ideas and make them happen with the proper collaboration and in the proper setting um you know, since then I've kind of gravitated more to like assistant directing and just being a part of the movie than making my own. I'm still working on my own. I've been working on a movie for 10 years and uh, still not quite done. But um, yeah, so that's just kind of what drew me to it. And it's a ton of work and it's crazy, um, but I love it. And, you know, just going back, you know, movies and TV and stuff is just such an integral part of so many people's lives. And there's so many different kinds. There's documentaries. There's all sorts of things. And, you know, I feel like it's a great medium to be able to feel and experience stuff and see stuff through different people's eyes and just really get a better understanding of the world. Um, There's a lot of junk movies and whatever. But, you know, entertainment's good for people, too. I think a lot of people sometimes talk down about it. Like, you know, you're rotting your brain or you're doing whatever. And... Certainly, some shows and movies uh, maybe have a higher, you know, mental level to think through and, you know, a little deeper than other ones. But I I don't think they should be discounted. I I think it's a great medium. Um, You can make great art with it and touch people's lives. So how old were you when you first felt like, hey, being involved with this is something interesting and it's something I want to do? Really... 
I think high school is where I really kind of cemented this is something I want to do. Um, like I was saying before, kind of growing up, there's lots of things I want to do. Like I wanted to draw comic books. I wanted, you know, there are lots of artistic things. And then just in high school, I started being able for the first time. Like I think my family is one of the last people to get a VHS player, you know. So um, I, I really cherished the times where I could see movies and I could go to the movies, which I didn't get to go as nearly as much as I wanted to as a kid. Um, but yeah, in high school, we had a VHS. I, there was a video store like a mile away from my house and they could, you could rent five movies for $5 for five nights. So I used to do that and, um, my parents didn't want to watch it and we had the one TV with the VCR. So I'd have to wait till my mom fell asleep at like one thirty or two in the morning. And then I would watch movies, you know, till, till 6am and then go to sleep and then uh, get yelled at by my dad for sleeping all day. <laughs> But uh, I just saw some really good movies I really liked, and it really kind of inspired me. And, uh, you know, I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. Oh, that's that's just funny. It brings back memories of the uh, the video store and, and the yeah. day I, I uh, one of my good friends growing up, I think, did something very, very similar to what you're, <laughs> what you're talking about. He'd stop every day, I think, and get... Yeah, get get videos. Uh, and like one of my dreams was just to work in a video store and watch movies and talk to people about it. But ironically, I applied to three different blockbusters in my life and I didn't get a second interview. I didn't get hired. I'm like, how hard is it to get hired here? So I don't know what I was doing wrong, but um, it's funny, <laughs> you know, in different towns, too. It wasn't even in the same place. So. Oh, wow. Well, probably just timing. But um, one of the things that I've definitely seen as I've been talking to more people uh, you know, talking to a lot of people about careers in film is it seems like oftentimes people's initial interest, they, they don't have a word for it, but once they figure out the word for it, it's director. Sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they realize they want to direct, but then there's there's a process that sort of takes place, and, you know, some people do pursue that, but if you look at a film set, there's only one director, and there's a sure. lot of people on set. <laughs> That's true. Well, occasionally there's two, uh, but yeah. Sure, sure, yeah, that's true. But um, but it, whether there's one or there's two, there are many people supporting sort right, of that, right. per, you know, a, a small number of uh, people's vision. And it's interesting the path that people take. And I think sometimes people are even, uh, maybe they don't want to admit or they're, you know, there are things they might feature on their resume more prominently than others, but it seems like everybody at some level is doing a certain amount of work to put food on the table, and then they're doing the work that they're really trying to move towards or that they're passionate about. And um, and I, I guess I'm curious if that's your experience at some level, and if it is, like, what what has that been like? And I guess... If my question is loaded at all, I think it's that um, I think that's probably healthy when people realize that that's the nature of the thing It's at some level. Does, does that make sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah, one of my friends called it, which I'm sure is the sayings uh, used all over. It's like, are you doing the job for a meal or you're doing it for your real? You know, like, so is it something that inspires you and this is what you want to do? Or is it something you have to do? Um, and that's very true. I think, yeah, so many people want to go in, they want to direct, they want to do all this stuff. Um, but when I started out, you know, I, I worked a bunch, I mean, I've worked probably thousands of like little, you know, back then it was digital video 
um, shorts, just like I, every weekend, every opportunity I could, um, and any job. And I just realized, okay, this is what I love. This is what I want to do. Um, and I don't mind doing any of the jobs because you learn the process, you learn the craft. A lot of people kind of want to do the shortcut and just be like, I'm going to be a director. That's what I am. I'm not, you know, I don't want to help anybody else on their film. I don't want to learn this. And a lot of, yeah, in certain instances, if, you know, your dad's a millionaire and you can throw a million dollars, you can get people to help you. But to really be a good director, you have to learn the craft and it's, it's, there's not shortcuts for that. Um, you have to understand what people's role are. Um, you have to just really be ingrained in the process to improve as a director, I feel. Um, and so as I was doing that process, um, you know, I directed some, I directed some shorts and some things. Um, but I realized, you know, I like to direct, I I'm still going to do it. I'll do it some on the side, but I, it wasn't, I, I don't feel like I had the skill set necessarily to really excel at that. Um, so I found like just working through different positions. Um, I sort of settled more in assistant directing, um, because I knew I didn't go to film school. I, you know, I just started working on, you know, uh, one of my friends had, a student filmmaking club because there wasn't a film major at Ohio state. So I went to that and I just started working on stuff and I sort of realized I don't have a background as a camera guy. I don't have the technical skills and I spent a lot of time working and building those skills eventually. But what I knew I could do is like, okay, I can be organized. I can look at stuff. I can work hard. So I kind of gravitated towards assistant directing and then kind of learning the rest later. So essentially what I would say is, it's great to get your hands dirty. It's great to do whatever you can. And, you know, doing the different positions, there's different personality types and different skill sets for all of them. And you kind of learn what you want to do. If your goal is to be a director, that's fine. You can still do that. It's just, do you want to work at a restaurant and dream about being a director? Or do you want to be on set doing, you know, maybe not the jobs you want, or maybe not the projects you want, or maybe not the position you want, but, everyday learning and just being on set, you just learn so much and just experience and just knowing how things work. Well, speaking of knowing how things work, uh, I'm wondering if you might take a crack at, uh, at explaining what an assistant director is. Sure. Sure. So an assistant director, essentially they're kind of the general of the film set. Uh, the producer runs the show, you know, they're the boss, but as far as, minute to minute activity on a film set, uh, the assistant director, you know, leads the way. So it's not an assistant to a director. You're not getting anybody coffee. Well, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do, <laughs> but, uh, you just have to make sure all the departments know what's going on. You have to make the schedule. You have to make sure everybody keeps on the schedule. You get all the shots and just coordinate, you know, this huge machine that's a movie and it's it's a it can be a really hard job and you have to be a bad guy at times you have to make people go faster you kind of have to make them do stuff they don't want and all the departments are kind of in a way it's kind of like nature everyone's fighting for resources every department wants to do a good job and as assistant director sometimes you have to be like okay you can't light this shot for two days because it's not in the schedule the movie's never going to get done um you can't have a hundred takes to get it perfectly right as an actor, because there's other scenes to be shot that day too. So you just kind of have to corral people. Sometimes you have to just lead the way and say, you know, this is what we have to do. Rain people in a little bit, um, make people go faster sometimes. 
But at the end of the day, you need to do that to make the best movie possible because you still have to get the movie done. And then additionally to that, there's other, you know, jobs the assistant director does, uh, direct background action and some stuff like that too, clearly. But that's, to me, that's the main job is just keeping the train rolling. One of the things that uh, you sort of alluded to is that saying yes to, you know, there's it's a zero-sum game. Saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. Yes. How do you how do you deal with that and how do you help directors and cinematographers understand <laughs> understand that sure um a big thing is directors have a vision and certain directors are more particular about certain items than others so you got to be true to your director you have to try and get him or her what they want uh, now sometimes if they want to shoot stuff a hundred times you have to tell them no but so sometimes some departments can move up and down at certain spots, depending on the importance of the story. But yeah, it's just, again, at the end of the day, everybody wants everything to be perfect, which is understandable. That's your job. Your job is to make the best looking shot you can, to have the best wardrobe you can, to have the best hair and makeup you can. But it's all kind of pointless if you can't finish the movie. No one's going to watch half a movie and be like, man, that was some fine makeup. Uh, I don't even care that we didn't get to see the ending of it. So, you know, and you just have to make judgment calls a lot. Uh, so going in, you come up with a schedule and you're like, okay, we get this much time for hair makeup. We get this much time to light. We get this much time to shoot it. And then we have to move on. And if any element derails that, then you got to cut something out later. So it's like, okay, we spent two hours lighting the shot where we really only had an hour. So the last scene, we're just going to have to, instead of, an hour and a half of lighting you got to get done in a half hour and we can only sh we have to shoot a half hour less than what we had planned and so as you were saying it's a zero-sum game so certain things will suffer and sometimes you know like if you work with the director or director of photography they'll say okay no this is the opening of the movie it's really important so let's spend a little extra time and then we'll cut something later however what i have found in most experiences every single scene is important They'll, you'll hear like, oh, this is the beginning of the movie. It's important. This is the end of the movie. It's important. It's This is a crucial scene for the main actor, so it's important. Oh, this is the introduction of this character, so it's important. So when that starts happening, I just ask, like, what is not the important stuff? Tell me what's not important because literally everything's important, which it, it is in the movie, but you just have to manage that. I think I remember having exactly this conversation with you. <laughs> yeah, probably. It's uh, <laughs> it's You can only hear this is so important because... So many times, uh, day after day. <laughs> right, right. So if somebody's thinking, uh, you know, sort of figuring out what uh, area they want to specialize in, like what do you think the building blocks, personality building blocks or interest building blocks are for being an AD or being a successful AD and enjoying it? Well, I think the big thing is you have to be organized and you have to be able to look at things, know what's important and all the elements that have to happen for a scene. And so like to make any, it's kind of a miracle. Anything gets shot in a movie. There's so many elements. It's, you know, actors and it's hair, makeup and it's wardrobe and it's lighting and it's sound and it's, you have to have the location and yeah, you, you know, there's just a million things in any breakdown on any of those. You can't do anything. So you have to be able to be detail-oriented and organized and know, okay, we need this for this, this for this, this for this. 
But in addition to that, and equally important is you have to be able to communicate. You have to let everybody in the crew know, okay, this is what's happening. Here's what we need from you here. Here's what we need from you, you here. But you also have to listen. If someone's like, Hey, this is a problem because of this. And they let you know, you know, you have to factor that into the equation. So to me, just organizational skills, details, and just being able to communicate people both ways back and forth, you know, listening and talking are the main stuff. And then that'll get you started. Part two is you have to have a really thick skin because you will get yelled at from every department at some point uh, in the movie, probably many, many times. So you have to be able to take that, but you also, you know, have to be able to put your foot down too. So you, uh, it's okay to make a mistake. It's okay to maybe not think stuff through in the right way or forget something, but you still have to be able to adapt and correct the course. And sometimes you just have to say, Hey, you know, I'm sorry, but we're not doing that. And people get upset. And, you know, at the end of the day, no matter who you are, you want people to like you, you know, kind of thing. And professionals understand, you know, it's like, it's your job. It's not like you don't like them, but it's easy to take personal sometimes. So you just have to take a deep breath. So, you know, you, you have to have the certain skills to get started, but then people get through the ringer and uh, beat up pretty bad sometimes. So a lot of people exit the AD path that way. So you got to be, you know, mentally strong with it. So speaking about uh, sort of being strong and having a thick skin, what happens if you start getting significantly behind schedule? Like what, ooh, what happens? Ooh, ooh. <laughs> As an assistant director. And what is significantly behind schedule, do you think? Okay. So essentially almost every movie is behind schedule. That's just how it happens. So you're instantly, everyone's still finding their process. We're trying to get stuff perfect. So it's, it's very, very easy to fall behind. Um, part of the problem with that is as producers, and this is the correct way of doing it. I'm not saying it's not the correct way to do it, but you cram as much as you can into as few days as possible to control cost. So if you can shoot for less days, it frees up more money to, throw in more stuff for production value. Like, hey, I can get a bigger name talent. We can get more gear. We can make this look great. So every single movie has a tight schedule. Small ones, big ones, whatever. That's how it is. So when you start getting behind, you just have to rally the troops and talk about it and say, hey, we're behind. What steps can we take to improve our speed? What's slowing us behind? What is fixable? What is not fixable? If certain things are not fixable and you're going slow. Okay. What does that mean? Do you cut out scenes? You know, good producers should have a little extra money in case you need to add a day. That's kind of like or a couple days or whatever. Um, that's sort of a worst case scenario. You don't want to resort to that. And that is a thing people throw out instantly. Like, Oh, it's fine. Let's just add a day at the end. So, you know, you're two days in and you're adding a day. And then by <laughs> the time you're four days in, you're like, all right, we need to add four days. Uh, which, you know, that equation goes bad, uh, pretty fast. So, Sometimes it can be, you can correct processes. You can sit down and talk to people and say, hey, you're going a little slow. Um, We realize this is what we want to do, but we have to find a way to speed it up. And sometimes, you know, you can simplify story stuff. Is it, it, you know, is it cutting a couple scenes? Is it something like this was a big, crazy driving scene that you're going all over? It's like, okay, maybe people are talking on the side of a car. You know, There's, there's ways to simplify stuff to be able to speed up at the end. But 
at a certain point, people have to agree to concessions. So as an assistant director, you can push and you can push and you can push and you can only push so hard. And at that point, you have to just get producers or higher ups involved and just say, hey, this is all I can do. What solutions can we come up with? Do you have you ever had a situation where producers are hires up rather than you involving them? They see what's happening and come and talk with you. Oh, yes, that happens all the time. And, you know, I I appreciate people trying to help, but sometimes sometimes producers aren't in it every second of every day, you know, watching the shoot what's happening. So sometimes they kind of come up with processes and things that maybe aren't as good. So it's it's good to talk it through, but it's sometimes hard when a producer comes in and dictates, "Okay, you need to do this." And that's it. And when sometimes it's maybe a combination of doing this and doing that a little bit. Um, yes. And a good producer should always be watching that. They should always be involved just as an assistant director. It's just hard sometimes if you can't have the proper dialogue and fix stuff and producers are always looking at the bottom line. So sometimes you have to be smart with how you're, I don't want to say cut corners, but how you're budgeting stuff. There's, there's been plenty of movies where, um, I've gone in and the producer's like, nobody can have any overtime, nobody. And if it takes hair and makeup two hours to get people ready and the whole rest of the crew's, you know, standing on set for an hour, that's, you know, 95% of people doing nothing when, okay, let's say we, we have hair, makeup and one actor have overtime, then you get way more value out of your day. So again, I, I just feel like Producers are in charge, and yes, they they dictate what happens, but when there's problems, you should really have a little collaborator, at least a talk. Yeah. And then if the talk goes not well at the end of the day, maybe producers agree with people, don't agree with people, you move on. But you know, I feel like y- you should try and flesh it out a little bit. So maybe this is a trick question, but is uh, being successful as a, an AD, is it about... Uh, good planning or is it about being able to roll with the punches definitely both but it depends on the on the project and all projects are different everybody operates different there's different things you're trying to accomplish and shoot for each project some directors are just very fly by their pants let's go over here let's do this oh forget that Um, some directors are very planned out and want everything done precisely how it is so it's it's just kind of knowing your producers and directors and kind of how they want to dictate stuff. That being said, I've never been on a movie that hasn't veered way off course and changed stuff is if it's okay, we have this whole week of, we have to shoot outdoor scenes. This is the only time we can get this location, whatever. And it just pour, you know, it rains every day. So it's like, okay, what do we do there? So you have to be pretty quick on your feet sometimes. I don't say pretty quick, but you have to be able to come up with good solutions. to The problems pretty fast. So I'm just trying to reflect back your your answer. So it sounds like it depends somewhat on the style of the director that you're working with, but it also oftentimes requires being flexible. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. A big thing with that, though, too, is planning. And mm-hmm. you, you should plan, 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 plan. And a lot of times, maybe movies don't have the time. They don't want to budget prep time because, you know, it's expensive. But when you don't plan out that stuff well, well, even when you plan out stuff well, things happen. But when you, especially when you don't plan it out well, stuff goes awry everywhere. It's like, okay, did we secure this location properly? Or can we do this? Or we wanted to 
shoot here and oh we don't have the proper equipment to shoot this quick because or properly because we didn't think to order it because you know we were just throwing everything together last minute so you definitely have to be more flexible when it's less planned out which some people are like yeah it's fine we'll just do this you do this but i just seen so much money just burnt from not planning out what you should plan out right so if you were to um I think that every member of a film crew has certain things that they confront on a regular basis to the to the point where they sort of become things they want to rant about or, or something <laughs> sure. like that. And I think you alluded, I think very diplomatically earlier about, well, every part of the movie is probably really important. So like when you're saying this part is really important, let's take extra time. We can't just do that with every part. Uh, what are the what are the common like frustrations of an AD? Like what are the? Yeah, big thing is if, as I just said, if we plan something out and I schedule everything per the plan, and then all of a sudden we just chuck that out the window because we have an idea, and that's fine. But sometimes we don't even have an idea. We just decide that shouldn't be the plan, and so we veer off into the wilderness. <laughs> think about it for a while, come up with a plan and maybe it's better. Maybe it's not better than what we started with. And there, yeah, there's been a lot of great ideas on set that weren't planned that way. And that's fantastic. But what are you losing when you're going in that jungle? It sounds like what you're saying is that if people haven't really done their homework and then they get on set and they realize that their homework sucks. Yes. <laughs> they're like, Oh boy, we need to make this better. <laughs> Because it's not what we had in mind isn't good. Yeah. But it's very expensive at that point. Right. To, um, and it's also, uh, speaking from somebody, you know, in camera department, it's, I find it much more difficult to be creative on set sometimes just because there's so much pressure. That's very um, true. You yes. can actually think when you're yeah, <laughs> away from set and have good ideas, but... And of course you can do that on set too, but it's more difficult just because ev like your attention is divided 10 directions and yeah, there's a hundred people asking you what's going on. How, what are we doing here? And you a lot of times can make decisions under pressure that seem good. But then when you look at the bigger picture, sometimes you're like, Oh, as an isolated idea, that was good. But in the big picture, right. maybe it didn't fit as well as it could have if we just sat and thought about it. And in, I guess, every department's defense, many times you just don't get that time. You don't right. get enough time to really think stuff through. Everybody could always use more prep time. Right. And although prep time's a really good investment because it saves you so much money on time where there's so much more people, you still it's still a cost. So right. it, it can be a tightrope sometimes of giving people too much time to prep and it doesn't matter because they just do whatever they want anyways or you know being able to come up with a good plan maybe here's here's a way and you know no pressure if this is a, a you know a weird way of thinking of it but you know if you were to think sort of department by department what are the common things from your perspective that you would see that could be different to make the the process go smoother well, one, one thing, uh, a common thing I've seen, especially in lower budget movies, is you want strong leads in your departments that kind of know the game um, and are good with people, you know, able to run their departments. 
But in addition to that, you still have to have good people in your departments. I know a lot of smaller budget movies, you just don't have a budget for stuff. So sometimes it seems like you're just getting people off the street. <laughs> you know, not really, but you know, a lot more green people. And so that can be really hard because then the process grinds to a halt because if you're the head of the department, you got to make the big decisions. You have to run it. Like for instance, for um, if you're the gaffer, you know, if you have good electricians that can set lights, you tell them what to do and it's done. Yeah, You're way more efficient. If it's something where you're there and then, okay, somebody didn't set that light up, right? You go and you move the light, you move this, you have to explain stuff a bunch of times. It gets really hard and then you're not focusing on your job. So that's a big thing. And again, spend the time, do the best you can to get the best crew under you you possibly can get. And maybe it's not the most experienced, but so the people, quality people yes. sounds like one of the things you're saying. Yeah. And, you know, it took me like an hour to say that, but essentially, no. yes. No, right. no. <laughs> um, yeah. So as if you're the producer, you want quality people running the departments and within the departments, you need quality people that, and essentially, you know, all departments just need more time for everything to make it perfect. So if, if you have that, that gets you going. So one thing I know that I was terribly guilty of was um, uh, I, I tried to improve, but I'm sure I, I was still lacking on old fashioned. And I've tried something I've tried to get better at is accurate estimate of time to readiness. Yes. Yes. Um, not saying you did that right, but that, that's a very common thing. And sometimes it can be very hard to estimate. It's like, oh, I think it's this. And then you run into a camera problem or a light problem or when you're doing what you think you want to do and you're not seeing the proper results, then you have to take time to adjust. But if you can give the best estimates, that helps everybody so much because it's like, okay, camera's going to be ready in 20 minutes. Let's make sure we rush hair, makeup, wardrobe, get the actors here in 20 minutes so they're ready to go. Let's get all the departments ready to go. So when you rush everybody and then everybody's set and then it's like, oh, wait, no, it's an extra half hour. <laughs> Number one, it annoys all the other departments. I'm not blaming camera. I'm just saying for all the departments, you know, there's always waiting on somebody. So if you can do that, it helps tr tremendously. Um, and then when you get people on, like if you get actors on set and then they're just waiting there for a half hour, they need to get warmed up again. A lot of times you, then you're ready to go and it's like, okay, makeup needs 10 more minutes to touch them up because, you know, it's been a half hour and we're outside and they're melting. And the other side of the coin is sometimes if you say a lot of people will be like, I just want to make sure I have enough time. So I'll say I need an hour to light this. And then when you're ready in 20 minutes, none of the other departments are ready. And again, I'm just using kind of camera and lighting as, as the example, but it can go to anything. So then trying to get them all up to speed maybe we can rush them through in 20 minutes. You're everybody else is ready, but you just lost 20 minutes of your day and going in, you know, thinking about it in human terms, it's like, Oh, five minutes here, 10 minutes here, whatever, you know, it's not a big deal. I can wait five minutes, but every single delay adds up in time. And it's easy just for hours to float away that you'll never get back just because people weren't managing their time and telling you accurate information. Is it um, something that you have to work to get people to do or how important is it that people report back to you when they are ready? Yes, that's very important. If one thing that I, one of my early mistakes as an AD is I would see, you know, lighting guys working and working and working. And I would think like, oh man, they just need They're more time. <laughs> yeah. But 
people will tweak and they'll just try and make it a little better, make it a little better, make it a little better, even though they're ready. So I'm just standing there for a half hour thinking, man, what's taking these guys long? And then they're like, well, what's going on? Where, where are the actors? Why can't we be shooting? And I was like, oh, uh, okay. So, so you do that. Um, a lot of crews will let you know. They're like, yeah, we're ready. Come on, whenever you need it. But it's great when people let you know, but as assistant director, you have to ask. You have to constantly ask. You're like, okay, how much more time do you need? What's going on? Is this important? Can you do it a little quicker? You know, so you yeah. just have to, again, it's a communication back and forth. You just have to constantly be doing it because, as I was saying before, overestimating, underestimating, just hanging out, thinking people are doing important stuff when they're not uh, is a problem. <laughs> right. Can you give me sort of an overview of your career and what some of the highlights have been what some of the turning points have been and what sort of what the decision what what you what what that story was like i, w I didn't know what i wanted to do i i wanted to do movies but i wasn't really sure how that was going to play out i wasn't really sure about my life going into college and so i went to ohio state they have a million majors a million things and just not film well they don't uh they used to have a film school and when i was talking to one of the ohio state representatives i asked them if they had a film school and they're like yeah we have everything but i didn't really do my research and i wanted to go to ohio state anyways but uh yeah so they didn't have a film school so i started i took as many film studies classes as i could and that wasn't technical that was watching movies analyzing movies right. and stuff but i was like that's great. I'll, I'll have a minor in this. I'd have a major, but they wouldn't let me, but I took enough classes that it could have been a major. Right. So within one of those classes, uh, one of the teachers told me, he's like, Hey, uh, just announcing, um, some students are putting together a student filmmaking club. So they're meeting here. If you guys want to go, you know, great. Just, uh, kind of an announcement. So I went to that and from there, I just started working on student DV shorts, and then I graduated, so I just worked on more DV shorts and just uh, digital video shorts for the, the newbies that shoot yeah. in HD and <laughs> on hard drives and cards and whatnot. But so I just I worked as hard as I could on as many of those as I could, which was a good base, but also sometimes it's you want more professional training too. That I think that's my biggest regret is not being in on bigger productions earlier because I, you know, you can get some bad habits and stuff. Overall, it's a great thing, but that was, I think, something I, I veered off a little bit. But so I started doing that and eventually I got some commercial work and other stuff. And it, it sounds kind of dumb, but I, one of my early proud moments was when I quit my part-time job and I just did movies and commercial. You know, I, I, I became a, a professional in the industry. Because it sound dumb. Well, <laughs> why, why why would that be dumb? It doesn't sound dumb, but everybody thinking about it, I mean, your goal is not to just barely, you know, to to work on PA on some stuff and whatever. You know, you always have some big goals of directing epic, whatever huge movies. But to me, that was a really important thing because I had seen, like, essentially everybody I worked in college or in college with doing the student filmmaking stuff. I don't think any of them ended up being a film professional. I think there was just something they played with, they wanted to do, and it just kind of fizzled out or whatever. Right. So that was actually a proud moment for me, especially not coming from film school. I'm sure people in film school, they have a lot higher rate um, of actually becoming a film professional as opposed to the zero rate uh, that my film club had besides me. So that, that was a big moment for me. And I lived in Ohio. Maybe and now school, school can't give you that motivation, though. 
Yeah, that's true. It's, it still yes. takes a lot. It, it's still, I'm not saying it's less of an accomplishment. Um, I feel like you, you're shoved, I don't want to say shoved, but, you know, directed more towards the path. Yeah. Whereas I feel I didn't have that direction. So yeah. I felt like I sort of more found that on my own. So mm-hmm. that, that was, again, part of the being proud. But everybody should be proud if, you, if you're a professional and this is what you do. I, yeah. I feel like it's a big accomplishment because I've seen so many people like get on jobs and, you know, producers or, you know, whoever, they're like, okay, well, I'm not hiring them back. No way. Or, you know, they it's a tough, it's a tough industry. So a lot of people just don't have the, you know, stomach for it um, to be so able to do have it. have to come back to that, but I want to hear what sure, the sure. toughest industry, but continue. Sure. So anyway, so that was a big moment for me. And growing up in Ohio, it's not at the time was, you know, it's a hundred miles away from, well, more than a hundred miles, literally, but you know, New York or LA, there weren't big movies, you know, there'd be small ones. I'd jump on when I had the chance and doing commercials and stuff. I liked living in Ohio because I wanted to make my own movies. Cost of living was good. I had some connections here. And so finally getting to the point of doing that was great. Um, from there, I worked on a ton of really small movies. I don't want to say no budget, but not hardly any budget to finish a feature film. What kind of a figure is that? Um, I, w- I worked on a couple like $50,000 movies, um, a couple hundred thousand. And even when you're getting to like the half million, still pretty low. Yeah. But I, I've done essentially budget-wise bottom-of-the-barrel movies plenty of times. Yeah. So it wasn't, you know, a huge oasis. So I worked really hard. I worked on everything I could. And, you know, Ohio got a tax incentive, so I got to finally work on some big movies. I got to work on, you know, Avengers and Spider-Man 3, Ides of March, some stuff like that. So being able to work on, you know, quote, real movie that, you know, everybody in the country that pays attention to sees and plays in theaters was kind of a big moment, too. Yeah, how'd that feel? Uh, It was good. Um, Not really a career moment, but uh, I worked on Spider-Man 3, shot for a week in Cleveland, and it was just... Uh, action sequence, no, you know, main talent, none of that. Uh, second unit, so we just big car crashes uh, all day long. And the first day, I went to lunch. Um, I was used to getting hot dogs or something right. similar, uh, right. low budget movie meal. I walked in line. You know, they have their whole caterers. They drove a truck, you know, multiple trucks from L.A. there just to set everything out. Oh, wow! And I'm in line. And uh, the chef's like, well, what do you want? The lobster or the steak? And I was like, I don't know. He's like, how about both? And I was like, yes, that's amazing. Um, I'm a vegetarian now, but, uh, you know, at the time it was it was quite the moment of not hot dogs. Uh, So that was kind of a big moment, just being a part of the big machine. Eventually, I kind of learned, like, I I don't know if I like always being a part of the big machine just because you're just a little cog in a big thing. But it was it was a big moment for me to be able to be on a a big movie like that. And then just to kind of fast forward, I started working on bigger things. More opportunities were there. And then my biggest moment in my movie career is um, being a part of the DGA, the Directors Guild. Mm. As an assistant director, it's really hard to do. You have to work hundreds of days. You have to log your days you have to have the call sheets you have to have pay stubs to prove you got paid for doing this work Uh, you have to apply they review it it, it, and it's a big thing so that was kind of a a proud moment my uh dj first dj movie i did was carol a todd haynes movie and you know it was 
it was quite amazing to be able to be a part of the uh, guild and on you know a, a quote real project so, so what uh, uh i'm not i'm not in any union uh and i've talked with a, a number of people about being in the union one of our graduates is in the union in los angeles and the she works as an ad um but what uh like aside from I guess you might call it the prestige or the accomplishment. What what made it different uh, on that film? Uh, to do it on a really base low level, I was used to getting beat up on movies and everything being hor- horrible and getting my paycheck at the end of the week for like $200. Mm. And this one, it's like, wow, these were long days and I got paid extremely well You know, from my okay. previous experience. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, that's not the whole thing, but that, that was a big difference I noticed. I was like, oh, so it's uh, okay. This, this isn't too bad. Um, like your time actually has value. Yes, yes, which yeah. uh, I've spent the whatever 13 years before that uh, with seemingly like my time has no value um (laughs) so that was a big thing and i don't know it's i think it sounds a little arrogant but it was prestigious and i was it was a proud accomplishment just because so many people start out to do that and so few actually make it to there so and i felt like not so much that i was great or anything like that but all my hard work amounted to this. And yes, it's just a DGA card I have. I have to pay my quarterly dues and whatnot. Um, but, you know, it, it meant something to me that all the stuff I had gone through, all the hours shooting, you know, in Ohio in December or January or February nights in freezing cold outdoor stuff yeah. to like super hot stuff. Um, but I can't tell you how many times there's been like 50 people crammed into a bathroom trying to shoot a scene in the middle of summer, just driven <laughs> it's sweat. It's like 110 degrees. Gross, yeah. yeah. It's, everybody's sweating and smelly. And yeah, yeah. So it felt like each, I love just being a part of it, you know, like being yeah. an integral role of making this happen. And, you know, I'm sure a lot of movies come and go and whatever, but I feel like it's something that, that was there. It's a part of history in a way, even if only 10 people saw it. But, you know, it's it's like a piece of art that can kind of be around forever in a way. Yeah. So, yeah. What are you doing now? And do you, are you still working as an AD regularly or occasionally or? So, uh, I feel like my film story sort of has a tragic ending. Um, <laughs> the, so when I was working on Carol, my first DGA movie that I spent whatever, 12 years making my way into the DGA, uh, I found out my girlfriend was pregnant, so that was exciting in many ways, and I wouldn't change it or whatever. But I kind of decided, I'm like, this is hard. Movies are a lot of hours, especially as an AD. I think on Carol, um, part of it was me learning the ropes a little bit and what was what, but I think I worked 18 to 20 hours every day, including the weekends for like months straight. I was mm. It was shooting in Cincinnati, which is two hours away from Columbus where I live. So it's not too far, but you know, I was just there. I was there for a couple months and never went home. And even if I wasn't doing big movies, it's like I had to travel a lot. There's a crazy hours, you know, you can have a four in the morning call time and, you know, or you could have a four in the afternoon call time. Uh, you're freelancing. So you, you can kind of make your schedule, but you have to take the jobs when the jobs are there. It's, it's hard not right. to. And I didn't right. want to 
not be there for my kid. So previous to that, I had worked a billion hours on stuff and it was fine and I didn't care, but um, I kind of didn't want to do that. So I eventually, I was working on a movie and while I was working on the movie, my daughter was probably maybe three or four months old and she got a lung infection and my wife, you know, was sick and we're, it, it wasn't serious, but we had to monitor it closely. And, you know, she was supposed to monitor. I was like, well, how are you going to monitor her if you're sick too and you can't hear stuff? So I, that was one of two movies I ever quit. So, and I I was like, Hey guys, I'm sorry. I got to go home. And I was planning on coming back. I guess a good story, but not really necessarily relevant. So I went home for a couple days to make sure they were okay. While that happened, one of my good friends uh, who was pregnant uh, had the baby and it passed away. So I had to go to a funeral for that. And my wife, well, she was my girlfriend there, but my future wife, one of her friends, she's from Illinois, um, was walking uh, with her son in a Walmart parking lot and a drunk driver was going to hit her kid. So she pushed her kid out of the way and got killed by a car. So we went to that funeral. So it was, it was a horrible spiral. And I was like, okay, well I never made it back to that movie. Um, That's just personal side story, but it made me think long and hard of what's important in life. And, you know, as much as I wanted to do movies and movies were important to me, I decided I'm like, you know, I'm going to take a little time out. I'm going to go more to commercials. And, uh, I still do DGA commercials here and there, but I end up kind of getting a day job producing at, um, a studio in town and, you know, it ends up being a lot of photo work in addition to some video work. So it's not really where I started out, but you know, we talked about, you know, meals or reels. So it's, this one's a meal, but I still like it. Um, and you know, I'll go back when the kids are a little older and go back to it. It's, it's not something I ever want to quit doing. It's just not at the right time. So, so yeah, it was long, hard crawl to the top of the DG. Well, I don't say the top, but make it to the DGA and then a quick exit. (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts, but, uh, true or false, Family and film making are mutually exclusive. You, it's a balancing act. Um, there's a ton of people that work that have families and they manage it. Um, assistant directing to me, and again, uh, it's long hours for everybody. It's, I'm not going to diminish any departments because they're all hard. But assistant directing, I mean, you got to be there early. You got to be there late. You got to plan stuff out when you're not on set. So to me, it's a lot more hours than I see other departments doing. So depending on what you're doing, if, again, not knocking this at all, um, if you're a gaffer or somebody that's a little different, but if you're like a grip, you sometimes you can show up, work, be done, go home, do your thing. But you have to manage it. And honestly, I don't know how a lot of people do it. Um, I think if you live somewhere slightly different and you don't have to travel as much, that's certainly a, a plus. But movies just can be a lifestyle. Yeah. So... Uh, you just pick your battles, but some people, you know, especially when you're working on bigger movies and you know, you're more experienced and you're getting a little bit more money, you don't have to constantly do them. You know, you can do it, work for a couple months or however long the movie is, or maybe do a couple movies and then take a little time off and spend it with your family. So yeah. I think that's a good way to do it. Um, for me, that wasn't the choice I made, but, um, like I said, I still do commercials. I'm still trying to put my movie together and and even even though I'm not doing it now, um, you know I'm I'm an assistant director at heart. Uh, I think as I told you, yeah. And 
still having worked on all the movies before, I'm still proud of those accomplishments and what happened. So if I never get back to it, I don't. But I'm still proud of the journey I did and what I've accomplished. Yeah. Okay. So, so many questions. Earlier, um, I put a pin in the idea that it's a difficult, uh, filmmaking is a difficult field to be in. And you've mentioned some of that. But let's just look straight at that. Like, what makes it hard? What are the challenges of being in film? Okay. So, some of the challenges, it's not a nine to five desk job. You don't have that routine of, okay, I'll be here Monday through Friday. I'll have my weekend. I'll do whatever. Um, depending on the shoot, you might be shooting nights. You might be shooting days. Your call time can be super early in the morning. It can be super late. And if your call time's at 4 p.m., that doesn't mean you're going to be done at 8 p.m. That means right. you're going to be done at 5 in the morning or something. Right. So, and it, it's not the same. You know, it's not like, okay, this is all night shoots. It's, it, changes all the time so that just kind of wreaks some havoc on your schedule and some people just aren't good at nights you know some people aren't good in the morning some people need their routine so uh if you need your routine that's not it's not great for you um a lot of times you're out in the elements um you know hot cold sunburn freezing rain sleet you name it you know I've, we've we've been in it all so you know some people it physically can be really tough um so some people physically just can't do it or, you know, mentally can't handle it. So those are just kind of on a base physical level sort of stuff you have to deal with. Um, it's stressful. Everybody thinks, well, people that don't know a lot of times think it's like, hey, it's like hanging out with your friends. You talk, you shoot stuff, you know, and it's not like that. It's there's pressure. There's pressure on everybody to perform well and to perform fast. So there's a lot of tensions people get tired they get cranky it's not always what seems to be the healthiest uh, mental health spot uh well i remember years ago i think you posted something on facebook shortly after old-fashioned i think you'd had to fill out a questionnaire for healthcare. <laughs> uh yes. like an intake form for uh, uh health insurance something like that yeah i should i should try and find that no what actually what happened on old-fashioned um there was like a virus, not a virus, but a sickness going around that you get antibiotics for, I guess a bacterial infection or whatever. And, uh, Timmy Twister, my second, second had it. And then I got it and I was like, ah, okay. So we had a day off and I was like, okay, I'm just gonna go to the doctor because I'm going to have to get this. I might as well do it now, try and get better. So I, you know, we can keep going. Um, so I went to the doctor and the nurse was taking my blood pressure and she was like, She's just like, oh my God, your blood pressure's so high. And I was like, ah, um, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, it's kind of a stressful situation, not really eating the best, not uh, sleeping, you know. Um, so they wanted to test my heart and make sure, you know, there wasn't anything wrong. And I mean, essentially, I just had blood, high blood pressure and I'm medicated for it now. So, you know, it's all good. But uh, at the time, they want to do, you know, they, it's different stuff with my heart, but one of the things for high blood pressure is they gave this questionnaire of <laughs> like stuff that can raise your blood pressure. And literally it was, if you're an assistant director, it's all wrong for you. It was, it said, I, I wish I could remember it more, but it was so spot on. Um, it was like, do you sometimes feel like you can't control, uh, your surroundings, you know, are you sleeping? Are you stressed? You know, like it was just this checklist of everything assistant directors have to go through. And so I was like, Oh man, this is just ridiculous. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I wish I could remember it more, but it, it's like, um, I shared it with my, 
uh, second assistant director from the movie Molly and uh, Tim, the second second, and like we were just dying laughing because it's it's assistant directing essentially was the antithesis of what they of wanted health, you to do. Essentially, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah, I mean that's that, to me that's a very important thing when you're assistant directing. Um, some people do it better than others, but you can your health can go bad easy doing that just with the stress and just you know that can kind of grind you up you know a little bit so what about stuff like um self-employment tax and uh health and making a living wage or are, are those things that have been difficult at times oh yeah uh for sure i know um you know pre-obamacare and stuff like for probably six or seven years i just had health insurance that didn't cover anything unless whatever incident was over $5,000. So I'm like, well, okay, if I get my arm ripped off, I can afford to get it, you know, sewed back on. Other than that, I'm paying for everything. Right. So that was a struggle. I mean, luckily I, I've been healthy. Uh, that was part of the thing with like the blood pressure. Cause I didn't check it because I didn't have regular doctor visits cause I couldn't really afford it. Um, and that, yeah, that can be terrible for people and starting out it's, it's hard. Um, health insurance, a big thing. That's a big thing. And just freelancing. It's like, okay, you have a job, but where's your next job? You know? And, right. Uh, when you're a little bit older, a little bit more established, you have more connections and it's a little less stressful, but like I've, there's been Januaries where I've worked like two days and I'm just like, Oh my God, I need some money. Uh, so I can pay rent in February. So a lot of that's, it's a struggle. And like I had kids way later in life and stuff. So I didn't have a family I needed to support that way. And I was okay being poor. I'm like, you know, this is my dream. I'll, I'm okay being poor. So I, that's just the path I had to do. Um, what were the other things you were looking at besides? Oh, um, just financial and like self-employment tax. And oh, I'm also curious. You mentioned Obamacare, not to be political, but I, I've talked to a number of people working in film who are like, yes, that's a, <laughs> Like we can get health insurance. Yeah. It, oh, it was a great thing. And yeah, not to be political about it, but it, it was a huge help to yeah. me for a little bit. Um, once you're in unions, like the director's guild, like you can get really good health insurance, okay. but the way it works is you have to make, I think it's like $40,000 and then it kicks in for a year. So if you don't make that $40,000, you don't have health insurance. So, and it's like a calendar year. So let's say you hit it in July by the next July, you have to make sure you make 40,000 or you just get nothing. Oh, so, wow. um, different unions can kind of help you out in different ways. Like I know a lot of the IATSE grips and those people, if you work, they'll put money towards it. And then if you're not working, you don't make enough, you just pay the difference. So getting into unions and stuff is very important for those reasons. The, um, like I said, I was young and I was healthy, so it worked out for me, but it, it can be a tricky road. Um, and then you mentioned taxes. Uh, I can't tell you how many times people have made fun of me. They're like, well, you haven't done your taxes yet. And then I do extensions to October and I barely get it in. It's like, I get so grumpy. It is so hard. Um, I learned later in life that apparently not all states have, or not all states have city taxes. Mm. Um, Ohio does. So yeah. when, even if you work on a movie, it's like, okay, you shot in Cleveland, you shot in lakewood you shot you know you shot in all these little provinces and then you break it out and you end up having to pay 25 city taxes i mean there's been plenty mm. of years where i've had like 40 or 50 employers and it gets confusing if you're not really on top of stuff because it's like all right i worked 
this commercial. It was this production company. You know, it was for this client. Let's, oh, let's, just, just for example, it's like, okay, yeah. I, you work a Sprite commercial. Well, it's not. Sprite doesn't pay you. It's like, okay, you get hired. The production company does it. And then a lot of times they'll use a payroll company. Right. So it's like at the end of the year, you're like, wait, what is this? Like, what am I paying? And so it's wherever the payroll company is based, right? Well, it, no, it's still based where you work, but it, that's just the layer of... So that's just confusion layers, right? <laughs> okay. So, but if you work in multiple states, you have to file taxes in multiple states. Um, like I said, Ohio, multiple cities. Um, a lot of, you know, bigger movies and stuff, they'll, they'll do actual payrolls. You're like an employee, they'll take out taxes, but a lot of other jobs are just 1099. So they don't take anything out. So you're trying to balance the two and then you have to do, you know, you can't just do the short taxes. You got to do the long form. And then, you know, you keep track of all your write-offs and like, you're like, okay, I did this much miles. I paid for this gear. I bought this whatever item did for your computer die during old fashioned. Yes. I, I will tell that story right after if you want to hear yeah, yeah. but um so it just gets really complicated and the last thing you want to do on a movie where you're working long hours and it's stressful and you're trying to get a little family time or relaxing time in is just to keep really detailed receipts and notes and stuff it's something you have to do otherwise you end up owing a lot of tax money um and i was pretty fortunate for a while and i they generally balanced out i got a little refund here and there you know um, i ended up not really having to pay taxes till the year my daughter was born and then I ended up owing like $6,000 in taxes. And I was like, Oh, oh no, <laughs> I thought this was going to even out and it didn't at all. So that was kind of a, uh, not great. Sorry. Okay. So side story, um, on old fashioned, uh, I just had a PC. That's what I was using at the time. Um, it wasn't an old computer, but it wasn't the newest. Um, I had used, you know, Movie Magic EPS scheduling, which is kind of standard for a lot of projects, you know, kind of industry-wide standard. The producer had started the schedule and doing stuff in a different program that some TV shows, and it was like a little different thing. So he was kind of insistent that I use that since he already started and stuff. So I said, okay. So I I downloaded the program, and both those programs are pretty big, so it kind of ate up most of my hard drive. I didn't really have a lot of space to stuff. Okay. So I was like, ah. How do I make this work? Um, so a uh, production assistant that will remain nameless on the movie uh, <laughs> had an idea. He knew this program that got rid of a lot of files you don't need on your computer. Oh, okay. And I was like, okay. Sounds like um, a good idea. I need some space. My computer's not doing well. Are you sure this is okay? And this is, uh, I think we had, I had three weeks prep, and this is about week two and a half in. So I have all the schedules. Yeah, I have all like the stuff. It was like four or five days before. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so I I knew how important my computer was and everything on it. And, you know, this is still, what was that, like how many years ago? It's 10 2011, years? I think. Okay, yeah. yeah so um, I have better systems now, clearly. And I feel like a lot of things have changed and everybody has hard yes. drives and backups and stuff. And that was not the case at this time. There was no uh, iCloud or, you know, any of that stuff. So uh, I made him swear up and down. This is fine. It will not mess up my computer. I did it. It completely wrecked my computer. Like nothing worked. There was no way to reverse it. Uh, and I was so freaked out because that was everything. And so I had to run. I run. I switched to Mac then at that point. And my phone died. So I got rid of the Android and the PC and got an iPhone and a Mac and scrambled. And I, I mean, 
that was so stressful and so hard on top of everything that you're stressed out about. I was just like, oh, but so many stresses, especially right before a movie. Yeah, that was not a good one. You should be able to write that off, right? <laughs> yeah, like yes. The cost of that I did, computer. yes. Yes, know, which I think was taxes. the point of our conversation of this. But uh, that's what, Well, that's what made me think of it, yeah. actually. So um, just a note, if you're a production assistant, just be really careful with – definitely be helpful, but – be really careful about that stuff because that, that is not a good way to make friends. <laughs> right. um, and he felt bad and, you know, he, he was a kid, so I, I get it. But oh, I wasn't happy about that one. You know, there's a bunch of stuff that makes a career in film difficult. And I guess I have, I have two questions. Maybe I should save them for one at a time. But um, if it's so difficult, what makes it worth it? One analogy I got from a script supervisor I worked with, she likened the process to giving birth. It's terrible. It's just the worst thing that you can kind of imagine. You know, it's stressful. It's painful. But when you're done, you have a beautiful baby, you know? So mm. that's, to me, that's kind of how it was. The process of making a movie is just chaos and, um, you know, just torture at times. Yeah. But it's working towards that end goal. And there's so many, I almost every movie I'm like, I can't wait for this movie to be over. I'm so over this. It's just so hard. I'm going to sleep 15 hours a day. It's going to be fantastic. But about two days after I'm done with the movie, I'm like, man, I need to get on another movie. That's uh, <laughs> I, I, I have to get back. So, um, yeah, to me, it's, it's yes, there's great parts about making a movie. It's great. Uh, just the high stress stuff. I feel like you, you make really good relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of deeper bonds than, you know, somebody at an office that, you know, somebody two desks down that you kind of talk to, you know, I, it's, it's a good bonding thing, but to me, it's just being a part of the process and creating something and yeah. having, having been a part of the creation of the movie. Like I resonate a lot with everything that you just said, but you know, cause you do, you look forward to projects being over, but at the same time, there's something really satisfying about like, look at what we did. Like, yeah. what, look at what we accomplished today, you know? And, um, it, I, it, you know, I, I teach and, um, I remember, you know, working on old fashioned, it felt like, uh, it felt like we were getting 10 times as much done every day as I felt like I got done in a normal day, you know? <laughs> sure. Sure. And it, it, um, it is sort of addictive. I think the sense of, yeah of getting stuff to to actually work like because it's painful but one way or another yeah things move forward and they get done now another side note i'm a proud of you know as we're talking i'm proud of the accomplishment of making a movie i actually mostly hate watching movies i worked on oh, like, really? I, I don't like watching it. it it stresses me out i think of all the bad things that were going on uh, stuff we couldn't accomplish just i was like oh man this scene was awful we got rained out you know like so I, it actually, most people sit back and love it, and it's like, hey, look at this. I it stresses me out. <laughs> Again, happy to put it in the world and make it a thing, but it, I really don't like watching movies I worked on. <laughs> Plus, you know, you read the script as assistant director, you break it down so you know what happens each scene. You watch all the takes. You you know, it's like I, I'm like I watched that movie already. <laughs> right. I mean, clearly you want to see how it turns out and how it's edited and all that, but uh, like, yeah, I lived that. I'm good. So the job that you have now, does it give you um, 
sort of some of the stability that the other work was not giving you as far as more predictable hours and more predictable benefits and things like that? Yeah. So yeah, I essentially kind of tapped out from the movie industry for a minute and uh, took the day job. So it's a producer. And again, I'll just call it a photo studio. We do, you know, commercials and video projects too, but mainly photos. Um, it's not what I started out to wanting to do, but having healthcare, having a paycheck is great. Um, I could easily go back to, if that job went away, I'd go back to freelance and it, it would be fine. But for having, I have two little kids, so having way more regular schedule, you know, we're, yeah. we're shooting a studio. So almost every day, you know, if we're doing a shoot call time, will be eight and it'll be over at six. Clearly hours vary and producing it's still production. So you're still going to get stuck and you're going to have to do hours. And I feel like I'm doing way more hours than I, I wanted to. So, but nowhere near the movie hours. Yeah. So, um, yeah, way better in those ways. Um, and again, I didn't, I'd work every day. I'd work huge hours every day if it was just me, but having a family, I just didn't want to do that. So, so is it, um, salaried or hourly salary? Okay. Which is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, I feel like if I was hourly, I'd, even if I made half as much money, I'd probably end up making twice as much money, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah, salary's okay. It's, uh, yeah, it, it's nice to know, okay, this is my income. We'll work with that. Right. It's like doing the low budget movies sometimes. I feel like my time's being wasted, not wasted, but not accounted for. Not being valued. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You, that's the perfect way to say it. Yeah. 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 So that happens. And I I think working in production, uh, that just inevitably happens. Is that, um, you know, because way back in the day, I worked hourly in video production Mm -hmm. and I've worked on salary for a long time. And it's a, you know, I've talked to graduates and so on who were salaried, or sorry, were hourly and then transitioned to salary at the same company. Mm-hmm. And so they just basically got a tiny bump up. Sure. To, but then their bump up in hours was not a tiny bump sure, up sure. once they became salary. And I think, um, you know, there's something very straightforward about being hourly and... um once you're salaried, I think you'd, you have a lot more freedom in some ways, but also, especially if you're a people pleaser, you're just going to end up working all the time, you know, and I'm not saying you're a people pleaser, but I think it's a, it's a boundary thing that you have to learn how to navigate when you're in a salaried position. Well, one thing, the big thing for me is all, all these projects have budgets, you know, and clients or, you know, investors, whatever, they just don't want to pay for everything. So I feel like, again, um, producer's time's undervalued and they're, they're, there's always budgeted way less days than it should be. And I can't, even if it's budgeted that way as a producer, I can't just like be like, well, that's the time I have to spend on this if I know stuff's not right. So yeah. I'm going to, whatever, spend my own time to make sure the shoots go well. I, I, I can't just have a shoot that's not, certainly shoots go awry all the time, but I can't, go into a project knowing I should have spent more time and it should have been better. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the most difficult yeah, things it is. about a creative field is that you hold yourself to a standard of quality, but you don't, but, but then it's hard to hold a client to a standard of price. Right. Right. And yeah. so the difference between those two things ends up coming from somewhere. 
Yeah. And that's usually sort of out of your hide. <laughs> yeah. And uh, again, I, I, I had a kid. I was actually just kind of bouncing around doing, I, I had kind of worked my career. So I had done a lot of local commercials in the town, you know, in Columbus where I lived. Um, but the more movies I did, I sort of worked myself out of the local commercial scene. Just, you know, you can only tell people, people only call you so many times if you keep telling them, no, I'm not available. Right. Um, and the movies were kind of like way, you know, Cleveland, Cincinnati, Virginia, New Jersey, you know, I was kind of going all over, which is fine. But having the kid, I was trying to do more local stuff. So I was working my way back into local production. So I was just working on a photo shoot. Essentially it was a furniture shoot. And all I did was assemble furniture and move furniture. And that that's all I did. So essentially a laborer, which is fine. And I was like, okay, it's fine. The hours aren't crazy. I get to stay home and whatever. Um, we ha- were dropping off some gear at a studio in town, and I ran into um, a film friend that I had knew- known forever. And she's like, hey, we're looking for a producer. You know, uh, any interest? And at any point previous to having kids, I would have been like, no way. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, this is not what I want. I want to do movies. I, you know, it's all fine. But you know, the studios. 11 minutes from my house and right. you know it's a studio so it doesn't matter what time you shoot so you don't have to wait for sunrises you don't have to do sunsets you <laughs> don't have to go shoot uh you know fast food commercial b- before they open in the morning at six you know like just stuff like that so i was like all right so it appealed to me um but again being a producer it's it's not uh, the hours can easily go awry so i ended up working the first year there probably I don't want to say more weekends than that, but a lot of weekends. So, yeah. um, we, there's a regular client. I don't really want to say it, but we do their monthly catalogs and they would do it in called wave. So like the first wave we would go and we would just shoot as much stuff as we can. Um, then they would have a wave two, which would be a lot smaller. Um, and you know, like if product and merchandise didn't come and we couldn't shoot it, that would go to wave two. Or when they put, you know, the book together, they're like, oh, this doesn't look right. We want to reshoot this and this and this. So wave two would be a lot smaller. So every single wave one, that would I'd have to work every weekend. So, hmm. you know, so it's like, all right, once a month at least, I, you know, I have to put in a weekend. And then we end up doing a different catalog. And um, again, not naming names on this one, but uh, the head of creative, very creative guy, and it's common, is not organized and he's mm. just throwing stuff here and there and it's just to make the project right i mean it uh i think in general i have about two weeks of prep where i'd work about like 75 hours and then during the production i'd work like a 90 hour week and then the second week like an 85 hour week mm. which going from movies i mean a lot of times on aging movies i'd work 115 you know like, like just crazy crazy hours so this is definitely a step down from that but i was like man this is not what i wanted to sign up for <laughs> so yeah. um it, and it's gotten better you know and you just work through it but uh yeah it's uh, it, again depending what you do if if you're a grip or something like that again not diminishing it a lot of times you can go to work and then boom call time leave when you're wrapped done not a thought in the world whatever happens the next day you'll show up and do it um being in production, when you have to plan stuff out, you, you can yeah. always plan stuff out better. You can, there's always problems that come up. So yeah. I feel like if you're going to commit to being in production, you just, it, it's a rough field. And the for more stuff pride like that. you take in your work, the yeah. more, you know, I know on old fashioned every, every night after rap, uh, you know, I don't know what everybody else was doing, but I know, I, I know I was working on sure. the next day's stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
how's a how is the film industry in Ohio like in in your do you have you you've been in a few markets it mm-hmm. sounds like yeah it sounds um, like the cost of living here is reasonable yeah and um, I mean I grew up here I know it it's I could happily move elsewhere I just you know I just ended up not doing that um, it was pretty pretty much a desert of films you know a couple things will come here and go. For a, for a long time when I started, um, like Speak, which was a Kristen Stewart Showtime movie, um, I worked on that. That shot in Columbus is like a million dollar budget, but that was, that was like, wow, look at this movie that's coming here. Um, you know, and a million dollars on a movie is, is kind of nothing for a bigger movie, but yeah. Um, so you know that and that's why I was doing all these really low budget movies, and it was kind of funny because I started out and ended up being like a ton of horror movies, and then it kind of after. Uh, What's that movie? Firewall, I think. It became a lot of faith-based movies, so I ended up kind of doing... Fireproof. Fireproof, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of ended up doing both ends of the spectrum, which, you know, it's... Mm-hmm. Jobs are jobs, and, you know, I was just interested in the movie, so it was kind of funny. But um, eventually, Ohio... Nowadays, it's all about tax incentive. So if a state puts up a good tax incentive, movies come. If they don't, they don't. You know, occasionally, there'll be reasons to shoot movies within whatever location, but... If you have a good tax incentive, that's that's what's drawing everything. So Ohio yeah. started one, so it had a small cap. So a couple of movies, like a big movie, would come in and kind of suck up all the cap. So um, eventually they kind of upped it, and so it kind of distributed a little bit better. So Ohio's film scene's got a lot better. Um, you know, right now Atlanta's kind of the big thing. Um, Louisiana was huge for a long, long time. Then they kind of had a budget crisis, and they're they're still good, but Atlanta's the thing. But several people that worked on Old Fashioned are in. New Orleans now, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. John Vincent and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah some definitely so, some people. Yeah. Um, so uh, as far as the breakdown for Ohio again, I don't know how important this is to anybody, but um, Cleveland has a ton of movies. Cincinnati mm-hmm. has some. Columbus has next to none. And okay. if you look at it, and I think if you're trying to decide where to live and what to do, you kind of have to look at the what's bringing movies in. If, if the, you know if this is your career, you're you want to do it's like what what's the infrastructure what's happening cleveland gets a lot of movies because they spend a lot of money on their film commission that brings in movies and rolls out the red carpet for them um cincinnati does it uh somewhat and columbus barely does it so to i'm not gonna get the statistics proper but roughly i think cleveland for a while again not current a couple years ago uh had spent about Two hundred twenty-five thousand dollars a year on a film commission. Cincinnati did about a hundred thousand, and Columbus did like ten thousand. Hmm. So within that time, it's something like again, not perfect stats, but Cleveland got like thirty-five movies, Cincinnati got ten, and Columbus got one. So right. you know, if and political stuff always changes. You know, new mm-hmm. governors, new officials come in. They're like this tax incentive is a waste of money. Get rid of it. Chuck it. Um, some stick with it. So. Uh, stuff changes, but you know you have to look like Louisiana spent a lot of time, a lot of money, and really build up the film industry. Yeah. Um, same thing that's happening in Atlanta. So I know Iowa had a tax incentive for a while, and uh, don't know the exact details, and I could be getting this a little wrong. Uh, essentially, one of the producers had major fraud on stuff, and the just oh, no. charged all this stuff and kind of ripped off the state. The state found out about it and just canceled it all. It was done overnight. Just gone, never to return. So they the their qualifying expenses they were um, 
they were forging them essentially yeah, it, or misreporting. Again, what they I spent. I wasn't a part of that. I don't know the details, and this is quite a few years ago, so um, I, I could be a little off. But yeah, essentially that's what happened is they they ripped the state off for a lot of money. Um, tax incentive on it's kind of a different conversation um, if you're doing pluses and minuses of tax incentives for movies on the general public. Um, but if you're in the film industry, that that would be the place you want to go because you know New York and LA is not for everybody. Um, mm-hmm. it, if you're fine living in New York or LA, go for it. You know, that's, it's the perfect place to be. Um, there'll always be productions there, but I was never a New York or LA person. Uh, I just wasn't my town. You know, it's not what I really wanted to do. So if you're not that, you know, you need to find kind of a location that fits your needs. And, you know, it doesn't have to be the biggest, craziest film stuff, but you know, it's, you just find where, where you fit in. Yeah. It seems like, uh, production stuff happens around the country, but it seems like uh, things are still like you mentioned the food the the food trucks yeah. drove in from Los Angeles, right. you know. So it's sort of like a there's a home their home bases, you know. Yeah. The last trip that I took was to Atlanta, and Atlanta is hot uh, with film production right now, but it's still not. I mean, there's Tyler Perry and a few things. But it's still most things are based from L.A. Yeah. And um, if you look at crews for bigger movies, um, most of the leads of the departments and stuff they'll bring from LA or New York. Right. So usually LA for movies. So um, again, depending on what you do, if you're more a day player, um, you know, part of the art department or whatever. If you want to work, you're going to be a local. You're going to work, and not that you can't get hired um, as you know heads of departments and big big jobs. But there is a certain prestige with being from New York or LA. Right or not, you know, there there are people in LA that clearly know their stuff that are head, you know, great, but there's certain people like agencies for commercials and stuff. Like if you're not a director or DP from LA or New York, like if you're a local person, they won't even bother. You know, it's, it's mm. not the same. There's, there's certain like, Ooh, LA. Um, and there's good crew and bad crew in LA. And, uh, it, it's just funny. Uh, some, some of the prestige stuff that people think. So, you, you know, it's, uh, short your career, how, you want, you know, if plenty of people are fine being a grip, key gripping sometimes, doing whatever. I mean, that that's perfectly fine. Some people have bigger ambitions. Now, moving to L.A., that does not mean you're going to end up as any of those people. But, yeah, you just have to find your niche. Like, what what do you want out of it? What, what are you going to get out of the film industry? What are your goals? And yeah. if it's to work on movies, and great. If it's uh, to work on the biggest movies there are, that's, you know, one career path. If it's... Um, you know, I'm happy working on smaller, you know, more intimate movies. That, that's a whole different thing. So if I were to try to summarize what you were saying, though, it's that um, there is production in Ohio. It is largely productions that are based out of either mostly Los Angeles, possibly New York. And Cleveland is the most active. Mm-hmm. We didn't really talk too much about cost of living. You know, I'm I'm I live in Tennessee. When I come up here, it feels it feels a lot like Tennessee. I'm guessing the cost of living is a little higher than Tennessee, but probably pretty affordable to live here. Like if uh, housing and things like that. Yeah, it, it it's very affordable. It's uh yeah, like I said, a lot of times New York or LA people go by and and we'll be scouting and they'll be like kind of big mansions. And they're like, you know what I heard this goes for? Like, you know, they're like $800,000. And they all laugh because that's like a, a little apartment in L.A. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, 
yeah, so cost of living is a big thing. Um, just as a side note, Cleveland also gets a lot of movies because they can fake their downtown as New York or a right. big movie. Right. And uh, not to knock on Cleveland, Cleveland has seen uh, better days, you know, kind of <laughs> rust belt and stuff. Right. So, and the commission with the film commission stuff, they can shut down downtown, they can shut down streets for okay. months. Um, I worked on Captain America 2. They shut down a big highway for like a couple months. I think all the Cleveland people were mad about that. But, I mean, you're never going to do that in L.A. or New York, you know. <laughs> so um, for productions coming in, it's, you know, there's you can do stuff a lot of times you can't do elsewhere. So. Right. As, as a producer, I could, see, I could see how that would be attractive to yeah. have those things on the on the table. How, sorry, side note, though. If you're a production assistant in Cleveland and you're doing lockups and you're telling people downtown not to cross the street or walk into your set or be quiet, uh, the, the residents of Cleveland aren't always very receptive to that. And uh, when I was working on Spider-Man 3, one of the PAs just got punched in the face, <laughs> which oh, no. sounds terrible, but he was kind of a... Uh, uh, he was a little rough, so I don't think he, he was locking up the way he should have. And someone totally took offense. Unprovoked. <laughs> yeah, um, and you can edit this out if it's terrible. But uh, I was locking up a street in Cleveland, and I was like, "Hey, very nice. You always want to be polite to all the residents and stuff." And uh, it takes seem to go on forever when people need. To, they're like, "I gotta get my bus and stuff." Um, yeah, one resident's like, hey, I'm not going to listen to you. You're just one of those Hollywood f- people. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> hold on. Uh, I, there was more cuss words in it and more uh, explicit stuff. I was like, all right, hold on. I'm from Ohio. It's uh, relax. It's okay. You shouldn't talk to people that way anyways. But um, yeah. So, uh, streets of Cleveland. <laughs> yeah. Well, one movie I did, uh, one of the producers thought we were, we were shooting in a lot of not good neighborhoods. Yeah. Um, so the one producer, she thought it was a great idea if we involved the local community in the movies, uh, to make them treat us better, you know, like just to, to be more friendly. Right. And uh, that did not work well at all. Oh yeah. So, how, how, I what mean, were the efforts to be friendly? Uh, she was trying to get them to be extras, to right. do stuff like that. And it's, you can't just take people off the street, especially maybe some people down on their luck, uh, maybe a little drug addiction, maybe, you know, some stuff and just throw right. them in a scene and expect stuff to work out well. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't always take direction well. They had to leave in the middle of the scene. You know, like it just, it, right. it was such a bad idea. And I get, uh, you definitely want to reach out and be friendly with the local community, but there's there's ways of doing it and ways not of doing it. Um, right. In my experience, when you're shooting in a not a crime area, you know, not that nice of an area, um, I mean, you be respectful for everybody, but you just shoot and go on your way. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe that sounds callous, but that just kind of the safest, best way to do it. Yeah. So, are there any other just interesting stories? Oh man, uh, there are so many interesting stories. Like you just. There's so many moments you're like, I, this is so surreal. Um, we were doing a process trailer and driving around the streets of Cleveland, and uh, three accidents happened from people watching what we're doing and just running into other cars. And it was really weird because there was kind of a pileup of multiple cars the one time we were doing the process trailer. And, you know, we have police escorts and stuff, and, you know, we just kind of keep driving because that's their job, and, you know, that's what we're doing, and different officers would come and take care of them. But it was, it was really weird, just like, was, we... We didn't cause the accident. Clearly, the other people should have been paying attention, but we were a factor in it, and then we yeah. just drove away. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't a serious accident or anything, but right. it, it was kind of weird. Um, it's, it's just surreal to experience. Um, a different movie I was doing in Cleveland, um, 
somebody not not on our set. We were shooting on this road that kind of went under underpass underpass. So it's kind of like a little abandoned road. We had some officers with us. Sometimes, I mean, a lot of movies you don't really have officers kind of locking up streets. You just get a permit or whatever. But we uh, were fortunate and had officers with us. Um, totally separate from us, somebody had stolen a car and there was a police chase and they were trying to get away. And they went and tried to turn down the underpass. And we luckily had the police cars blocking it. So they just turned around and drove away. Um, and the cops tried to throw down, you know, some things that, you know, uh, the spike strips. Not to tie, yeah, spike yeah. strips. And uh, they didn't get it. But then the cops drove away and, you know, was part of the chase. It was a huge chase. And I think. Like your cops left? Yeah. Yeah. Because they're like, <laughs> oh, no. Um, and there were so many cops there. And I think. I think they ended up crashing and dying. Um, I could be wrong, but oh, wow. um, it was a big thing. But if we didn't have officers there that day, like they just would have plowed into everybody right on our set. set. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean that it was a big, you know, it was a big thing. And so you're like, wow, we're very fortunate, and uh, that, that could have been really, really bad. Wow. Um, and yeah, it's just outside of the movie world, just in production world, um, a story I tell uh, a lot of people, and they're like, well, what's your favorite, you know, movie moment? What you know. Um, and, and there's lots of great, crazy stuff. Um, but one thing I really liked was I was doing a, a big lots commercial, not a commercial, but we were doing a safety video in one of their warehouses and an industrial. Yeah. So it was, um, you know, forklift operation, you know, just different safety stuff, just a, a training video for their new employees and stuff. And I spent a week doing it and it was really cool to be able to, be a part of that world. You know, some people had done that worked there for like 30, 40 years. And, you know, we kind of, I got to kind of go in and see what they were doing and what they're about and kind of stuff. And, you know, just going places and talking to people and seeing things you would never be able to do if, if I wasn't doing that. So that was like something like the, a really boring, nothing kind of thing. That was really kind of a cool life experience being able to just uh, see it. And then, you know, you see stuff like that all the time and, um, doing different commercials, you talk to different business owners and stuff, and just kind of, you know, if you if you're interested and you kind of have your eyes open, you, you get to see a lot of a lot of different things that you yeah. just normally wouldn't get to. Yeah, it's true. That's not the first time I've heard that, and yeah. I do think that, you know, I asked you earlier, wh- why do people still do this stuff if it's so difficult? And right. That's definitely one of the answers. Is you just have this diversity of life experience that. I mean, I remember being halfway down a cliff uh, above the ocean on the coast of Ireland, you know, with a camera. Yeah. There's no other reason I would have ever been in that spot. Right, right. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, yeah. it's just, it's, I don't know, kind of a whole world of adventure. Now, it's not exciting like everybody thinks where it's like a thrill a minute. It's very monotonous. (laughs) It's very boring uh, a lot of the time. But... I mean, you get to work with a bunch of different people. You just get to meet people and see stuff, um, go places you wouldn't normally go, meet people you normally wouldn't meet. Um, and yeah, there's people you work with a lot, but you're always meeting new people. And to me, that's really cool. It's just, uh, people from all over doing different projects and yeah, doing movies is a path is one way, but there's so much other stuff you can do in production. You know, you can do different TV shows. I've worked on a bunch of, kind of reality and other shows. I did a bunch of history channel shows and, um, I got to, um, here's a little bit of a crazy story. Um, it was a pilot. I don't think it ever made it to air, but I was working on a show in Cincinnati, um, where we, with the uh, homicide division uh, with the police. So we just kind of were interviewing them and kind of going around with them and stuff. Um, 
a murder happened, uh, you know, and we went to the murder scene and it was, you know, there was a dead body and somebody killed. And mm. I'm not saying that that was cool or anything, but it, it's, it was a life experience. It was really, hmm. uh, it was really kind of crazy. Um, uh, so police left and stuff. So we, they let us go in and do, they were very cautious, you know, they don't want us messing in the investigation or doing anything clearly that jeopardize their work. Um, and this is a crazy story. Um, so this was right around dusk. So the police put their line up, they, you know, did their stuff, they collected their evidence. And, you know, to me, I always thought like you'd see these crime movies or TV shows where the detectives are just piecing all this stuff together and there's all this little evidence and there's some little clue under some chair, you know, like, so you just think like everything's super thorough. You know, the the police officers kind of roped up the area, took some photos, did a little evidence and left, you know, essentially, um, turned dark and basically the producer um the police officers did their stuff uh, there were two kind of units i was with kind of more the b unit that a and again b unit a unit it was like four people on the crew um right so the one unit went away with the officers to kind of like do their thing and kind of check out the stuff after after they did their thing and we were doing b-roll at the place afterwards um i did not realize uh when there's dead bodies the a lot a lot of times they'll hire the fire department will come and they'll just hose down the streets if there's blood and that's kind of how they get rid of it, hmm. which is a really weird thing. Um, so we, it was dark and I was running around with a light with the camera guy and we had run around and then we were kind of going backwards and I just stepped on a really squishy wet stuff. And I, th- I just thought I stepped in a pile of blood, but it ended up just being water, but it was like the <laughs> grossest feeling. Um, Anyways, the, the murders aren't great. That was all awful. <laughs> so but it was a was life experience, show? you know. What was the show? Like, what were you shooting? Um, it, so essentially, it was a, a a Cincinnati police homicide unit, kind of going around following them around, okay. showing what they do. Uh, so if you could go back uh, 20 years and give yourself advice, what would it be? Well... To have a more serious film career, I probably I, I just stayed in Ohio where there wasn't that much stuff, and I was doing the the you know digital video shorts and stuff. Um, I really wished I moved to a place that had more production earlier on. To yeah. I felt like a lot of those small shoots don't they don't run like big shoots, and I felt like how to run some small stuff is not the professional way to run bigger stuff. And I felt like I really wish I went and started working on a lot bigger movies and stuff early just to understand how stuff works and then maybe go back to Ohio and kind of do my own thing and stuff. So I felt like I put myself behind career-wise quite a bit. Um, I felt like I could have learned a lot more stuff a lot better um, had I kind of done a little different path. Um, one example is, you know, a big part of assistant directing is, uh, directing background, you know, uh, a bunch of extras, you know, like on Avengers and stuff, we had thousands of people and we just sent them all over and stuff. And that, you know, it's a skill and you have to be able to do it fast because you're this, you know, the AD department, you can't slow stuff down. When you're ready to shoot, you can't be messing with background. Um, and you know, maybe it sounds easy to put some people in some chairs and do stuff, but like they, it can get pretty complex the way they do it with uh, signaling cars going through and matching action and uh, stuff. If you start off in the low budget world, 
you can't pay for extra, so you get like three. So you're trying just to place them so it looks like people are in stuff. Right. There's been a billion times where you know people want to do these big crazy bar scenes, and you have like five people. It's like, does it have to be the big happening bar? Because we're never gonna have that many extras that are going to right. uh, hang out from you know 11 p.m. to six in the morning on a Tuesday for no money. You know, right. um, again, it just depends on the end goal of what you want to do. For me, it would have been better to go work on bigger stuff. I I was trying to pursue my own, making my own movies more, and I felt like Ohio was a better place because there's lower cost of living. I like some people when you move to New York or LA, you just have to work every day to pay rent. You know, it's like you don't get to do your own thing, right. you don't get to play. Um, and I didn't want to do that at the time, which I, I don't think was a wrong choice. It's just where I ended up, I would have done it different. That would be my biggest thing. Uh, my biggest, biggest thing, though, was um, I was directing a horror movie. And I had every year kind of moved up and, you know, got more jobs, got better paying jobs. And so I was doing this movie and I didn't shoot it all at once. I just shot little segments, little segments, little segments. And that was how I was going to do it. Time. Yeah. So it's supposed to try and to block out a couple of months. I was like, OK, I'll shoot a weekend here. We'll shoot a weekend here. We'll do this. Yeah. All. I planned this out meticulously. I did all these things and it all went wrong. Um, so I was spending some money. I, uh, this is, uh, what, like 2006 or something, seven. Um, I got, I went to the bank. They gave me a business line of credit. I was like, they're like, how much do you want? I was like, I like 10,000. They're like, how about 20,000? I'm like, all right. And they gave me a credit card. There was low interest rate. Everything was great. And, uh, I had made more and more money as I was saying, and then, you know, there was the big economic crash. So I had credit card, a lot of credit card debt funding my own movie. And it was going to be great because it was manageable and I was making enough. And I ended up making less than half the money I made one year to the next year. Mm. Um, the banks canceled my low interest line of credit. They took my credit card and went from like 6% interest to 24% interest. And um, so I wasn't making enough money to be able to easily finish the movie. I was trying to pay all this interest on stuff, uh, making way less money than I was before. So like step by step, it was a good plan. But overall, it just blew up and was a disaster. Well, it ran into the economic crash. Yes, like. which I was not planning on at all. I was like, oh, I keep growing in the film industry i keep making more money this is great this is fine um so i still have a lot of that debt in an unfinished movie a decade later uh, so the film's not finished oh no it's not uh yeah. so I, yeah i have a three quarters of the way done movie um what, what I, were you shooting on like um it wasn't true hd but it was kind of hd so it was kind of on that so it was like still mini dv tapes but it was like the fake hd that wasn't the true like 1080 the panasonic yeah uh, yeah so we did a lot yeah. of that but um, the overall concept of the movie is a guy that gets cursed and can't die. So I'm going to take all those old elements and then shoot scenes a decade later and kind of make it more of a crazy art film. Um, but so you, you have not given up. Oh no, I have not given up. I, it, I will finish this movie. Uh, and it was kind of the normal problems of production where again, I, I felt like everything was right. So I had a lot of good friends I had worked with that are way more experienced than me and way, you know, really good. So I got a, a really good DP, a really good gaffer. And, you know, I was planning on, I had done a movie, Wicked Business, before that that I produced that was like a $10,000 movie, just a little thriller horror movie that we just shot and did. And that's what I wanted to do. That was my goal. 
So I got a really good crew in. So, the, you know, I'm like, I have a good crew, so I got to get them the tools to work with. So instead of like a couple light kits, it became, oh, we'll do a grip truck and we'll do this and we'll get a little nicer camera and we'll do this. And I was like, well, you know, this is good. It'll make the movie better. Um, and, you know, just little things like that. I had PJ Souls come in, you know, who was in the first Halloween. And so I had a little name talent. And the movie ended up having some problems. I didn't get a chance to really flesh out the script as far as dialogue and some stuff, which I was like, I'll work with the actors. We'll come up with something fine. And it didn't really work out that way. I, re- I mean, everybody says you got to make sure the script's solid, but I, I didn't want it too rigid. And I thought, they'll just make it natural. And, you know, I didn't have time to really rehearse the way I wanted to. Um, some of the special effects didn't really come out the way I wanted to. So there's ended up being a lot of problems. So it's like I came up with like, this chunk of movie that wasn't long enough to be a feature. Right. Um, I couldn't cut out any of the stuff that wasn't that good because it wasn't long enough. Um, <laughs> right. A lot of the stuff I would have highlighted didn't turn out that well. So I'm like, all right, so I, I got some work to do on this. Um, so I just kept trying to pay off the debt and have enough money to finish it. And it's, it's been a struggle, but I will finish it. <laughs> it will happen. And, uh, and it'll be completely different than I started, but I, I think it's, it will be kind of really unique to literally shoot a movie with over 10 years. And, uh, again, with sort of the timeless element of stuff, I think like what movie's done that, you know? Yeah, I well, mean, like Richard Linklater kind of yeah, had their exactly. thing where they did that. Mm-hmm. So I thought there's a lot of opportunity. So it's just, uh, the point of being creative about it and, being able to okay these are the pieces i have how do i make something good yeah, and that's cool. i put in so much time and money um you know it's like i'm not i realize it's not going to be perfect but i there's a certain level of acceptability <laughs> I'm, right. I'm making my way to so right. uh yeah so that that was the biggest uh, life mistake that again was a ton of little choices that all seemed perfect at the time right um but yes economic uh, I was not planning on the huge economic crash. So <laughs> I think uh, a lot of people were in the same, <laughs> yeah. same ballpark there. Um, but you asked me earlier about one, you know, accomplishments. Um, so many people that I knew in the film industry had to go do other stuff then because they just couldn't get enough freelance work. And yeah. some producers and stuff I worked with at the time said, you know, if you're working and if you're still making a living, you're doing really well. So, so when, when should we expect to see a film? Uh, don't give me a hard date on that. Uh, still, still a little fluid. Um, and where's the? I, I'm having to ad you here. Aren't you? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, doing your own movie. Part of the problem is um, if you don't have money, you can't. It's hard to. You right. have to take on so many other responsibilities. And I knew that going in, and I knew that was the biggest thing I did not want to do. Um, yeah. But you have to. So there. Um, I had a producer on it and she spent a ton of time and a lot of efforts and you know, I'm very thankful to have her on, but it's way more than a person job. You know, it's a lot of people. So uh, part of the real, uh, a big reason why I went awry was I'd have to spend so much time producing that I'd show up at set like 20 minutes before. And you, you know, we've talked about being prepared in a million things all night long. And, uh, I'd be like, okay, hold on. What, how am I going to do the scene? How am I going to block this? So it, and it wasn't due to the lack of effort and it, it's just how it happened. And so, you know, that caused problems and stuff wasn't perfect. And so it's trying to stitch it together now. So yeah. Producing and directing together is really hard. Yeah. And I knew that and I've, I've seen that pitfall lots of times. There just really wasn't a, a way I could find around it. So, right. And I think, uh, for young 
directors that are maybe doing stuff on their own money or they just have a little bit, that's the hardest thing is to get a producer. Um, a producer yeah. that knows what they're doing because it's so much time and you know everybody wants to direct and everybody kind of wants to be able to play around with it. But a producer doing the grunt work, that's so important to make a movie happen. That's It's really hard to find somebody to do that. So I think that's the biggest struggle. Um, I've seen a lot of so many times have. when you know young you know folks in in school or whatever uh finding a qualified producer like being able to pitch your dream to the level necessary yeah. to attract the person who can actually support you in that way because that's really what a producer is doing mm -hmm. yeah it's the producer's project too but in so many ways the producer is supporting the director's oh for sure dream. yeah yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, yeah, certainly people want to produce stuff, but it's also like when it gets down to it, man, it, it's really hard for somebody to just to do all that behind the scenes work and not fun work and right. stuff that's just not glorious at all. And just headache after headache after headache, trying to figure stuff out. That's, that's, that's the tough gig. I think that's the, the biggest thing starting out. If, if you're trying to do stuff with that much money. Earlier, you said that you got too much experience on the wrong kind of projects, or that's my paraphrase sure. of what you said. And it reminds me, you know, uh, they say practice makes perfect. Somebody said that's not actually true. Practice makes permanent. <laughs> pra perfect practice makes perfect. And the, it, I, I think that experience is critically important, but it is possible to learn the wrong stuff. <laughs> Yeah, and Dude. I did, even though I wasn't always on the right project, there were assistant directors and people I worked with that were really good. So yeah. you picked up stuff. I think a big thing to be conscious of when you're young is, I know it's a, a big thing, a big negative some people have about people coming out of film school is people in film school, they go, they make their movie, they do their thing, and you know they become seniors and upperclassmen, and they have a lot more knowledge than somebody that's like a freshman or whatever. And so I think a lot of people get a little arrogant. So yes. then they go to set and people that have been working for like, you know, 40 whatever years. And then they're right. trying to, you have to know your place, you know? Yes. So you have to be humble. You have to know that you don't know everything. Everybody, even the top level people, they're still learning. They're still, you always have to be learning. So that's a big problem that people have to watch out for. And you have to be able to evaluate yourself. Yeah. Like I worked on this and I, I feel like some people that go and work at a production company sometimes get in a rut. They kind of find what works with them um, and they kind of go with it. Whereas sometimes if you freelance, you you get the knowledge of hundreds of people and you, you can go and be like, okay, they did this wrong. They did this right. Oh, that's an interesting thing I've never thought of. So to me, that that's a huge thing if you want to improve is always be open to it, number one. Know you don't know everything. Yeah. Um, and just be conscious of of the shoots and what you're doing. You're like, okay, yeah, I worked on this small shoot, but you can't run the small shoot like a huge shoot, you know? Yeah. It's not that there's good, bad, you know, there's still good lessons, still plenty to learn. And small shoots, you know, you get to be more hands-on, you get to do more stuff. But just knowing that you're whatever on a student film with 10 people, you certainly get a say once you get to a movie with 200 people, the director does not want to talk to you. <laughs> you know, if you're a production assistant, they, right. th that's not, they don't want your ideas. Um, I'm right. sure they're great, but you know, it's, it's, it's a different sort of beast. Yeah. That's so. definitely a thing. I think uh, film graduates oftentimes they forget that they're low, low man on the totem pole yeah, again. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, so it can be a rude awakening. 
Well, glad thank got you to so much, yeah, Chad, for taking time bit, yeah. and course, driving sure. down here from and, um, from the city out into the country to, <laughs> to uh, yeah, it's, meet up with me. Here. The challenges of fatherhood. Yeah, the well, having them finish movie literally multiple times every day. I think about it, and it just eats me up, and it makes me feel so bad and. Everyone's just like, "Oh, you're giving up on yeah, it." I'm like, "No, I'm yeah, not giving sure. up on it." It's, and um, best wishes in finishing that find project. Find pieces and make it happen. <laughs> yeah, so, but yes, but thank you. And, and in the challenges yes, thank you in the of fatherhood. So, there's a lot to chew on there for aspiring filmmakers. I think one thing certainly that you can take away is that uh, that your career can can go in different directions, and that that's fine. You know, doing a thing that you need to do for a certain season of your life is I think fine and I think healthy and the things that we do I think are always preparing us for the future if we let them one of the things that Derek mentioned is just that mindset of being willing to grow and learn and I do think that that's really important it it is easy to kind of get lazy on that front and just sort of put it on cruise control but uh, I think that as long as you're willing to learn life teaches us stuff So anyway, I hope you'll join us again next time for Pictures Up. 